Welcome to episode 187 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Monday, 16th of April, 2018. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of bikebiz.com and I've just returned from sunny Mallorca. Except it wasn't sunny, it was cold and wet. But that didn't stop me from enjoying riding to, down and up one of the world's best road bike climbs. A hairpin-heavy ascent, famously frequented by Team Sky and other pro teams for winter warm-up camps. The day after riding the Sacalobra ascent, I was trackside to watch Saturday's finale of the six-day racing series in Mallorca's Palma Arena. I was in Mallorca as a guest of Ibero Star, a global chain of upscale hotels which sprang from this Spanish holiday island and which is a past sponsor of Challenge Mallorca, a world tour multi-day race that used to be based at the Ibero Star Playa de Muro Hotel in El Cudia, and which was where I was staying with my daughter Hannah. She slept on, however, as I crept out at 6.30 in the morning to ride the 50 kilometres or so to the top of the Col del Reyes. Normally this route is chocker with roadies, but I was on the road early, and I guess the prospect of poor weather kept folks in their beds. This meant I had the iconic, crazily switchpacking climb from the port of Sacalobre all to myself. I'll run some audio from Friday's ride in a moment, and then I'll drop in some interviews I did before the six-day evening, including with Madison Sports Group's CEO James Durbin, who runs the multi-city event and its 140-year heritage. I got the inside skinny on the technology to make the racing more understandable to spectators in the velodrome and at home watching on TV with Madison Sport Group's Head of Business Development, Alistair Carr. And I also got a chance to talk to Dutch track star Kirsten Wilde, who went on to win all of her races on the evening itself. But first, here I am on a DI2-equipped carbon bike supplied by the massive Mallorca-based cycling holiday company Hertzler which is the best part of 2,000 high-end bikes in storage next to the Ibero Star Player de Muro. I'm about to do one of the best road climbs in the world. It's usually listed in people's top 10, and it is the climb from the seaside port, the old fishing port of Sacalobra in Mallorca. However, in order to do that climb, I've got to descend. So that's where I am. I'm at the, the top of the hill. I have got to go down just the most amazing set of switchbacks. And unfortunately, it's raining. So normally, of course, it's absolutely roasting here and beautiful. Today, the Brit has brought some rain. But it's still very, very dramatic. So there are peaks all around me. There are very dramatic looking clouds. I'm kind of wet because I have ridden from Alcudia 
on the coast. So I am staying with my daughter Hannah and we are in the Playa del Mayo Hotel, the Nibiru Star Hotel on the coast, a five-star hotel with, at the moment, there's about 700 cyclists there. Well, 700 guests are in the hotel and the hotel manager, Rosa, told me yesterday that 90% of them are cyclists. So Mallorca is just this amazing destination for cycling. And one of the reasons for it being such a good destination is this climb. So I am going to go descending down these amazing hairpins. And if I survive in the rain, I'll, I'll come and do a bit of audio. I'll probably actually do the audio almost from the same spot where I am now. So I'm going to go down and then I'm going to climb back up. And I'm going to try and beat Bradley Wiggins' unofficial time of 22 minutes. Um, well, yeah, okay. Uh, it's unofficial because he doesn't log that on Strava, but lots of other cyclists log it on Strava. I'll probably log it on Strava too. I'm, I'm hoping to beat maybe 47 minutes. If I beat 47 minutes, I'm kind of happy because that's a median uh, uh, time for, for this particular amazing climb. I surprised myself. I managed to climb in 42 minutes, 42 seconds. And here's what I was descending on, a 9.4 kilometre stretch of beautifully smooth tarmac with 26 hairpin bends, including, at the top, a bridge which loops over its own road, a 273 degree coil, that's crackers. The road was built between 1928 and 1932, designed by Palmer-born engineer Antoni Parietti. His road was built for tourists and has an average 7% gradient. It's only on Parietti's not-like-bridge that the gradient kicks up to 11%. Here I am, after the climb. Well, I am in the same spot as I started on. I've done the climb. It was perishing and wet. And maybe you can actually hear uh, the rain coming down now. So I'm sheltering in the cafe. Uh, that's uh, at the junction. I had a hot chocolate. I'm sure you don't normally have hot chocolates on this climb, yet you kind of normally have cold drinks to, to cool you down. But I've had to have stuff to warm me up. Really, really cold. But I'm now going to head back to uh, Al Kudya. There was still a lot of descending to do from that point, and it wasn't until I reached sea level, when the sun also came out, that I dried out and warmed up. The weather's normally much kinder than this, of course, one of the reasons why pros come to the island for winter training camps, and why 90,000 roadies join them each year. There's now even a Rafa Clubhouse store in Parma. Now, 90,000 isn't a great deal when compared to the 9 million tourists that land on the island each year, but we cyclists arrive in the off months, boosting tourism spend when otherwise there would be almost none. And there's now a new attraction to attract cycling fans, the finale of the six-day series. This was held in the Palmer Arena for the first time last year, with earlier parts of the series held in London, Copenhagen and Berlin. With a 140-year heritage, 
the six-day series has been given a modern twist by London-based Madison Sports Group, as CEO James Durbin told me on the night before the racing. Uh, Our business, the six-day series, is velodrome cycling, so track cycling, and it, it is indoors. But that's all about the atmosphere and the entertainment that we're putting on. So it's the best of cycling and uh, in a really entertaining environment. So people can enjoy the cycling and the the professional cyclists don't whiz past like they do on the road and you see them for a few seconds and and, uh, and then you need to move on. But in this environment, you can sit in the track centre, you can sit in the stands for three hours and watch the best in the world going head to head. You've branded it as six day and you're getting people to go to which cities to go and see this? So not just Parma, because this is a finale. This is the, the, the series right. finale here. Yeah, that's right. So um, the sport has an incredible history, 140 years of history. And up until last year, all of the six-day events had been individual events. And we at Madison Sports Group decided that it was high time that we linked those events together. So there was more of a narrative for people to follow. and. For the riders, they could enter a series of events, and the series culminates in a final, which we're uh, hosting here tomorrow night. Um, we hosted the first final last year here in Mallorca um, after four qualifying events in Europe. This year, we held three qualifying events London, Copenhagen, and Berlin. And you qualify uh, through those three events for the final here in Parma. And you haven't got the 140 years of history, but you've got one year of no history. This is your second year. So how has it been for you? Is it to your expectations? What's, what's, what's going on with your business plan on this? We're, we're delighted with how it's gone so far. So we've been promoting six-day events for about four years now. Um, the series just in our second year. So very young in that sense. But as you say, the history is, is extremely rich and, and long. Um, we're, we're very happy with how it's gone in terms of the growth of the audience and for us it's very important to move outside of the cycling world as well as keep the core cyclists uh, engaged in this sort of racing but some of the races are quite difficult to understand there, there's a lot of nuances within the racing particularly the Madison race where you might have 36 people on the track but only 18 are racing at any one uh, particular time so we've worked a lot and invested a lot in educating the audience to try and get a new audience to cycling and we're very happy with how that's gone um, we have terrific partnerships whether they be cities like here in Palmer in Mallorca or Eurosport for our television partnership and the riders have been fantastic and, and they've really worked with us in building the series and, and building that story of qualifying through the events and leading to the final so uh, over the next few years we're looking to expand outside of the the, the heartland of track cycling in Europe and uh, and we're looking further afield global we're looking at, uh, at a global series uh, over the next five years we we want to take this to to all four corners of the globe and next year we're looking very seriously at some events in Southeast Asia uh, potentially Australia as well and potentially expanding the the European foothold as well um, in the subsequent two years after that, we, uh, we'll look into the Americas. Um, but we need to expand sensibly. We, we don't want to do it with such pace that uh, it's not commercially viable. And, uh, and we need to ensure that the, the audience comes with us and the riders come with us in that journey. But so far, it's been extremely encouraging. And so Madison's, it's Madison Sports Group, yeah? Yes. So that's clearly named, A, for one of the events, 
which in itself is named for Madison Square Gardens That's right. in America. So is there anything else in cycling that you're doing or is Madison Sports Group focused solely on on the six-day series? At the moment, we're focused solely on the six-day series. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's what our business was built around, and we believe we have so much to achieve in, in this space that that's, that's our sole focus for the moment. Uh, that doesn't mean that we won't branch out into to other cycling uh, disciplines and formats in, in the coming years, uh, and that will make sense uh, as we have a, a stronger global footprint um, in, in different markets. Some other opportunities will open up, I'm sure. Um, but for the moment, we have enough on our hands with the six-day series and promoting that globally. And is the business plan that you have partners in different parts of the globe, or are you organising everything yourself? How, how does it logistically work? Um, in Europe, we are looking at partnerships um, for some of the events which have been running for, for many, many years. Um, but when we're going into new markets, particularly in Southeast Asia, Australia, and potentially um, uh, back over to the US, we will probably run them all ourselves and I say that because it's very important for us to have the control of the sport. The integrity of the sport is very very important to us and so that element is something that we will probably, well not probably, we will never let go because we need the integrity of the sport there um, to be paramount in our events. The um, the, the commercialization of that then um, after that it, it's easier I think for us to manage it um, and uh, and that's our that's our strategy for the moment and where has Madison Sports Group come from because these things are not cheap to stage so what's what's the investment where's where's this group come from so we have um, uh, we had a few core investors who, who saw an opportunity here to um, to take the, the history and the legacy of, of six-day cycling and the huge success that it had um, in its early days from the late 1800s into up to sort of wartime. And, um, and then the, the sport did lose its way a little bit, but the opportunity to bring that back after the sort of the 50s and the 60s where it was so strong in Europe, um, they saw as a great opportunity. And the, the opportunity of creating an alternate career path for cyclists on the track uh, the opportunity for people to be engaged with cycling um, rather than standing on the side of the road um, and watching the, the, the riders go past very quickly. And from a media perspective, something that has a significant number of defining moments every night. Lots of winners, losers, battles um, every single night of, uh, of, uh, of the event. And there wasn't really anything out there in track cycling that, that was delivering that. And, and it's very different to road cycling. Um, but the, the world of cycling is significant. So we've, we felt that there was an opportunity there um, to carve out uh, a section of the cycling events industry and media industry. And, uh, and those three gentlemen uh, invested in the business um, through to a stage where we then looked at a, a second round uh, of funding. Um, and, and we now have multiple shareholders who are, who are funding the business um, through this stage of growth. Madison Sport Group's head of business development, Dallas Akar, explains some of the new tech that's being employed to make the racing more exciting and easier to follow both at home and in the velodrome. We have a number of different things that we have going on during the racing to try and explain what's going on, as you say, it's very complicated. 
uh, one of those things uh, the main thing is that we have live data for the athletes so we show uh, we show live speed uh, of each individual rider on the track at any time uh, and we also have uh, live heart rate to show what kind of effort they're putting and that's on a screen so that so that can be fed through to anything so we pick that up from the riders uh, directly from the riders and we feed it at the moment we have a feed that goes through to our broadcast graphics team uh, and they use that uh, basically take that feed and feed it into the graphics that they've created uh, to and they can choose to use that whenever they want and we work very closely with them to, to tell them what is happening uh, and make sure that they're showing the right bits of information. So that's, that's people at home, those yeah. lucky people watching on Eurosport. What about people trackside? What do they, what do they see in, in telematics? Uh, so we have um, at a number of, it, it, it varies per event, but our, our main setup is that we have, uh, we use the same feed that we use for broadcast in our in-venue screens. So quite often what the people will see in the venue is actually what the people uh, will see at home. We do have a, another set of graphic, in-venue graphics which are specially designed for the, for the, for the audience in-venue. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to, to make sure that the right people are seeing it in the right format and that it's visible. Um, and we've still got work to do on that, uh, but we've made some very good steps recently. Uh, so we're, we're happy with where it is. Uh, what about lights on the bikes? Because there's, there's, there's ways of identifying what's happening actually in the race from what's on the bikes. Yeah, so uh, lights is something new we've started this year as well. Um, we, we use remote control lights uh, to highlight who is leading uh, an individual race and also who is leading the overall classification. Uh, the red light is who is leading the individual race. The blue light is who's leading the overall classification. Um, they're very key things in a race, especially in things like a points race where uh, there's an intermediate leader in a race. So if someone wins a sprint, then they become uh, the leader of that race. It doesn't mean that they're leader of the overall classification. So there's two different things going on. Just like, um, just like a, a road stage race where there's individual winners of a stage and there's an overall winner but that's easier to highlight with a jersey. Uh, so we use lights uh, and it also adds quite nicely to the, the sports presentation element of the, of the events because we use lighting a lot. Um, so we've just started using that and that's something we'll work on to, to develop to make it more, uh, to hopefully make it a standard in the sport and uh, teach people about what it means and hopefully people will, will learn about what's going on in the racing from that. So what actually is on the bikes? What's, what's physically there there's, there's a radio beacon and there are LED lights well, tell us the exact what is it what's the, the technology that's actually on physically on the bike uh, so we have so the lights are the lights so the lights are remote control so they are uh, we use um, yeah, like a lighting pad to that, that sends the rem, the signal to the light and they pick that up uh, independently um, so it's it's a certain type of signal. I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, but uh, not because uh, not because it's secret, just because I don't know. <laughs> but uh, on the the other um, on on so on the bikes, we also have uh, speed sensors, and they they are the things that pick up the speed, and we we collect that signal and uh, and assign it to a, a specific rider, uh, and then we feed that through to. Um, to the, to the different feeds that go to the different people that, that then use that feed to display it and tell the story. And then cameras? 
cameras we've used, uh, we, we do use cameras, yeah, so that, then we, um, uh, we used cameras actually for the first time back in 2015, the first event. Uh, and I think that was the first time that really onboard cameras in a bike race were really actually were used to a good effect. And we've used them since then. Um, they're pretty beefy things, the RF, um, the RF devices that fit on the back of the GoPro. Uh, and it's a lot of work to move them between the bikes, certainly between races. But so it's not every rider? No, no, no. So it's just the odd rider will have a yeah, camera so we'll, on the, facing the back? Uh, we'll do it facing the front as well. As so well. in the sprint races, it, it looks good when they're facing the front. Um, we'll generally pick it. We'll generally create a schedule for each day and say who we want to focus on as, as the classification changes, uh, and then use and then put the cameras on accordingly. Um, another another thing that we're doing to try and tell this story is um, distance to catch uh, that's shown on our broadcast graphics. So that is the distance that a the attacking team or teams are from catching the back of the peloton which is a, a significant thing that they're trying to achieve in the race uh, taking a lap because that is the main the main scoring function of our, of our classification um, and also because the camera angles are changing all the time it's very difficult to see okay what's happening are they are they being caught are they are they gaining um, so we use um, we use time series data to uh, to basically measure that distance each half lap um, and uh, and that is then fed through to the broadcast feed, and you show you see that you see the circle kind of closing in, and you see them or they you see it going back, and it's kind of at some point it's very nice, you know, if people focus on that number and they're like, okay, they're catching, they're catching, they're, oh, they're gaining, oh, it looks like they're going to be caught, and uh, so that's that's I think that's probably the the biggest, the most innovative thing we've we've done, just a really that really tells a story, and it's such a simple. Uh, data point it's very easy to understand and you, you you can look at it and after a while it's it's different from a road race because um, a road race you're measuring the gap between the front of the peloton and the brake we are measuring the gap between the brake and the back of the peloton which is obviously an important distinction so when you see it immediately you think oh, it's going down I don't understand but they're gaining and then you realize okay they've caught the group that's what it means and then as soon as you've made that kind of distinction then it, it becomes quite clear and very uh, a very powerful storytelling technique I think. World champion trackie Kirsten Wilde of the Netherlands had an all-conquering night at the six-day series, winning all three of her races and finishing series champion. And I spoke to her before the racing. Give me your Palmeiras. So all of the things that you all of the things that were mentioned in the room there about multiple world champions. So, so I've seen your list. It's a long yeah. list. So let's. How can you summarise that list? Um, well, the quickest is I think. I won about 100 races, UCI races on the road and on the track. I didn't count with uh, four times world champion, <laughs> four times European champion and I think like 25 times national champion. <laughs> it's a bit stupid to say about yourself. This event has like lights on the bikes, it has lots of technology ah, like to make it friendly for yeah. people watching. Yeah, I think... Um, to make it more attractive this is really interesting I think for people I also find out that people really like the videos with the onboard cameras that they can see how hectic it is how fast it goes 
and I think that makes it much more um, yeah, attractive. And that's the same with the lights and the, the speakers and yeah, people understand what we are doing and yeah, that it's, but the other side is also, this is more like uh, a bit of entertainment and not only top sport, it's, it is top sport, but combined with uh, entertainment. But for people it's interesting to watch, I think. Yes, so it's entertainment, not just winning a medal. It's, for me, I approach a race like this different than a world championship. Then I'm not really um, open for onboard cameras and everything. Then I'm just focused on my result and on my own race. But with events like this, I think it's really nice to do a bit more to get people um, enthusiastic for the sport and take them what we are doing. Does this also give opportunity for riders to make some money they wouldn't otherwise have made? So the series could grow yeah. into something that becomes a pro, yeah. a pro series. Uh, yeah, I think races like this, um, they pay actually some, st some starting fees to two riders. So if you're only track cycling, th these are important races. I'm also in a road team, like Wiggle High Five, mm -hmm. and I, have a, I also have a contract in the team. So f if you combine it with road, it's maybe a bit different. But if you want to focus on, on track cycling, which is really important because the level is growing and growing, so you have to focus on, uh, on one thing, then races like this are really, really important and really good, I think. Thanks to Kirsten Wild there and Alistair Carr and James Durbin of Six Day Race Organisers Madison Sports Group. And thanks also to Ibiru Star for hosting me and Hannah before the six day finale and allowing me to ride one of the world's most iconic road climbs. There are links and more on thespokesman.com, which is the spokesman.com. And another show will be winging its way to you soon. Meanwhile, get out there and ride.